find wars. Now, thinkers throughout the ages have attempted to answer the question, why do people fight with each other? Right? right. There are land disputes. We see uh, uh, the land dispute between Armenia and Azerbaijan for quite some time now. There are disputes over precious um, uh, objects, copper, diamonds, cobalt, uh, and others. Rubber, actually, uh, has kept the Congo in bitter wars for centuries. And we know this to be the case here in the U.S. as well, right? We waged an ideological battle, capitalism versus communism. And that, that led us into several different wars. But why is this? Why do people fight? Well, in attempting to answer this question, a uh, Prussian general and military theorist from the 1800s, uh, Karl von Clausewitz, yeah, said he defined war this way. He says, war is an act of violence to compel our opponent to fulfill our will. So there's something inside of mankind that causes violence, something that comes out. People want something, and they'll do anything to force someone to give it to them. Right? We need not look very far to see this. We can see it on a very small scale, in fact. If you have, uh, if you have kids, right, and then they're fighting, you ask them, why are you fighting? Or if you have a fight with your spouse, and you walk away, you think to yourself, why did we just fight? What were my motives in that? Perhaps you're passed over for a promotion or a pay raise, and it frustrated you with anger. Why? Why am I so frustrated? Why am I so angry? See, wars are not simply out there. They're not even simply on a large scale. They begin in the heart. And this all seems natural to us, doesn't it? It all seems so natural. Our, our natures that they compel us to be hostile towards others. But we are not natural people, it turns out. We are the people of God. And so, we need to ask ourselves this one. When wars happen around us and in us, why are we always fighting? And what does God say that will make a difference? With this in mind, if you would please open up to James uh, chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, by the way, there are three Bibles in the back on that bottom shelf. Please uh, take one home with you if you do not have one, or even if you do have one, please feel free. James chapter 4, 
verses 1 through 10. This is the Word of God. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yields, he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray briefly. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts this morning. That we might love you more. That we might go out into the world loving our neighbors as ourselves. God, teach us and be glorified. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so James is writing to Jewish Christians spread abroad. And he asks them, what causes fights and what causes quarrels uh, among you? So clearly these churches are having some kind of issue. But what was causing the issue, right? James is asking that question. Why were they fighting? James diagnoses their battles with each other by pointing to a war happening within them. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So we ought not to rest upon the surface of anything. We need to dig in deep. We need to get at the heart of this issue. The word passion here is related to desire. And the word for passion is the same root word where we get the English word hedonism. Hedonism is a Greek philosophy that has uh, as the highest good for a person the gratification of their own desires. Their own desires. What, what is my highest good according to this? It's that I get what I want. And James is saying that the battle between them was caused by their own passion to selfishly gratify themselves. Now, we all want things in life, right? We want security. We want comfort. We want what's best for our children. If you're single here, I'm sure you want to get married. Maybe you want a little granite in the kitchen. None of these things are sinful. But 
happens when we don't get the things we want? Or better yet, what does our reaction to not receiving reveal about us? Who remembers Baruch Assault from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? Baruch Assault. In the movies, what does she desire? You guys already answered? Anyone? Golden, golden egg? Golden goose? She desires a golden goose to produce for her a golden egg. And she, in this scene, uh, with great passion, uh, dances and sings around the room, I want the world, I want the whole world, I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me. Now, and reacting to uh, Mr. Wonka's rejection of her, she, she tears up the room. She, she causes havoc for the Oompa Loompas. And then the scholarly uh, Oompa Loompas diagnose uh, Miss Salt's problem. Uh, they simply blame the parents, Right? Your kid is spoiled? Well, who do you look to? You look to the parents, right? But I think their assessment is only partially true. It's only partially true. She wanted something that was denied her. And she was prepared to make war on those who would deny her. James says that what this is, what Baruch's problem is, and the problem that's happening in these churches, is that of envy. Envious desires. And he says that envious desires are proved by their fruits. He says in the next verse, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now there probably wasn't real murder happening in these churches. That would be an extreme way of reading uh, this verse. But there were certainly fights. They were arguing. Do you imagine, you know, Jesus says, if you have anger in your heart, you must murder your brother. It would be in those terms. Envious desires is at the heart of James, James's words. And John Calvin opens this up very well, I think. And he says this, he says, James seems to intimate that the soul of a man is insatiable when he indulges wicked lusts. And truly it is so, for he who suffers his sinful passion, propensities to rule uncontrolled will know no end to his lusts. Were even the world given to him, he would wish other worlds to be created for him. Envious desire leads to wicked practices. And this all kind of harkens back to what the passage that, that Jeremy preached on last week as well. Um, when it says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, envy, sinful jealousy, selfish ambition. These are all related concepts. 
And I think we all know these concepts all too well, especially when we consider what's happening in the world around us. When we look at just our political world right now, Andrew Cuomo abused his power and he did violence to women in an effort to get what he wanted, in an effort to fulfill his lustful and selfish desires. On January 6th, some of those who broke into our nation's capital, they did violence that day. A gallows was erected with Mike Pence's name on it. We see this happening in our political world. We don't get what we want, and people fight and quarrel. They do violence against others and assert, assert their own power to bring about the fulfillment of their desires. They force their way through life and attempt to coerce and compel people or systems to fulfill what they selfishly want. Just think about the examples in my introduction. Why do children fight? Well, it's because they want what their sibling has, right? Why do we argue with our spouse? If we're honest with ourselves, it's not because we don't want it. We just want them to do what we want them to do instead of serving them, instead of loving them. When you pass over for the promotion or the raise, you're frustrated, not with because we think it is our duty, that it is our right to receive these things. Passion caused us to fight when we do not receive what we think we deserve. But the question is, why do we not receive sometimes? James wants to answer that question. Why is it that sometimes we don't receive? So James says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sometimes we don't receive because we simply don't ask God. It's like, how unspiritual of us. How unspiritual. We know that the Lord grants good things. We know that he desires to give us all that we need in this life. And that it's within his power to do so. Sometimes we just don't ask. We don't bring it to the Lord. But what about the times when someone does ask and does not receive? God perceives into the deepest parts of our mind, our will, our intentions. Because of sin, man is prone to pray with God, pray to God with selfish intentions, right? Isn't this what we mean when we talk about how some regard God as a kind of slot machine, right? You just 
pop the prayer in, pull the lever, and God will just give me what I want. Amen? No. (laughs) Or isn't this what the false teachers in the health, wealth, and prosperity movement teach people? What does God want from you? Well, God just wants you to have all you could ever want. And how are you going to get it? Well, you're going to get it by lining the false teacher's pockets. And what I think is most sinister about that is you're not even, we don't, when people do this, you don't even line their pocket with money alone. They exploit our sinful propensity to selfish and desire. They exploit sin to reproduce their own sinful desires and passions. We should not be surprised that God does not want these kind of folks. Matthew Henry says, if we thus think the things of this world, or sorry, if we thus speak, the things of this world. It is just in God to deny them. Unbelieving and cold desires beg denials. And we may be sure that when prayers are rather the language of lusts than graces, they will return empty. If we pray only to fulfill our selfish desires, God will stop on This is a hard word as well. This is a hard word. The battles that we experience in this life are because there is a is because that there is because there is a war waging within us. This is the fight we face. Your passions wage war within you. We are very much in need to hear this this morning. We are very much in need for God to tell us the truth. Though we desire things for ourselves today, God would have our attention and turn it. The Lord does want to correct those this morning who have fallen prey to their passions by speaking the truth. So James continues. You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It is a theme in the Old and New Testament for God to refer to himself and be referred to as the husband of the people of God. Remember Hosea? In the book of uh, of Hosea, uh, the prophet is called by God to marry Gomer, even though Gomer would repeatedly be unfaithful to the prophet. Gomer's unfaithfulness to Hosea is a picture of Israel's spiritual idolatry toward her God. The Israelites were idolatrous people. Um, And James is 
utilizing that tradition and he's applying it to those who are consumed in fights due to their envious passions. And it is a spiritual adultery to allow lusts and passions to run rampant within us. To allow worldliness to have its way with us. Now the idea of worldliness gets a pretty, it's pretty like misunderstood uh, in just Christendom and sort of 21st century uh, America. Um, worldliness is not necessarily, it can be, it's not necessarily dancing and drinking and smoking and going to the movies and all of these things. No. Worldliness is rather the world's systems, its values, its morals. And it is the nature of worldliness to be an enemy of God. Those that do battle with the people of God, the our enemy is the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And to be a friend of the world is to give in, to accept the world's way of doing things. Fighting and, and quarreling are the world's methods to take things by force. To be a, a friend of the world is to lie. It's to cheat. It's to steal. It's to do violence to one another. It is to say yes to the world, yes to the flesh, yes to the devil. It's to say yes to sin. And if one sets their mind, that is, sets it as their intention, to be intentionally moving toward, to welcome with open arms, to be a friend of the world, makes one an enemy of God. Giving into the world is spiritual adultery and enmity with God. And we're all a little tempted to cozy up a little too closely with worldliness. It is no surprise that the word would warn us of this this morning. This is true, especially considering who he is and how he regards his people. We read in our next verse. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? Now, James isn't actually quoting one verse makes this verse interesting in and of itself. He's rather, what scholars think what he's doing is he's kind of, in a sense, summing up something of the Old Testament tradition. Something of the contents of the Old Testament. And it's really this. That our God is a jealous God. And we're not talking about jealousy, like where jealousy and selfish ambition exists. There would be every disorder and every vile practice. No, we're talking about a righteous jealousy. 
the kind of jealousy that ought to exist between a husband and a wife. A jealousy of, you know, I mean, back off. She's my wife. That kind of jealousy. Or back off. She's my husband. That kind of jealousy. Our God is a jealous God. And he has his rights and requires that all back off. That she has no other. That we have no other beside him. Do you know that God is jealous for you? That he has made his spirit to dwell in you as a mark of infinite, great, and unimaginable grace? The church is his bride. Do you not know that when you fight and you let your sinful passions loose, faithful to me. When I do, I'm being unfaithful to my God. God's jealousy frightens us in the face of spiritual adultery. We often commit acts of spiritual adultery. How can we do what God wants us to do? How can we measure up? We sin. We fight and we hurt those around us. We've got things that just never seem to go away. We tend to be adulterous and wandering into unfaithfulness and finding something to feed on in that. How can we survive the jealousy of our God? Next verse. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Our God is jealous enough to give us the grace that we need to wage war on our sinful passions and to faithfully, as a faithful spouse, pursue Him. He has provided everything that we need to flee from our passions. Our God gives us grace that makes us jealous for His glory. Amen? And where does this grace come from? Where does this grace come from? Brothers and sisters, it is nothing short of the grace purchased for us by the Lord Jesus Christ and that He came to save not righteous people, not those who were faithful, but adulterers, idolaters, sinners. He came to save you and I. He came to save us to give us abundant grace. He came to save us that we might be a people who are at one time jealous to fulfill our own desires, that we might be jealous to obey God's will, jealous to fulfill 
His will and to glorify Him in this life. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He gives more grace. Remember what we sang this morning? This was a new song for us. Not a new song historically, but a new song for us. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. A friend of the world? No. A friend of Jesus. Amen? He gives more grace. This we hear the wisdom of God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Are you proud here this morning? Are you proud? Whether you are a Christian or not, whether you are professing Christ or not, God will oppose you. God is jealous for his own glory. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus, God is jealous for his own glory. Don't be satisfied with this life, please. You might be able to fulfill your desires in this life. You might be able to get what you want in this life. But this life is not all there is. And everything in this life will be taken away. Christ calls you this morning to come to him in faith, to know, believe, and trust that he alone can move you from being an object of God's jealous anger to an object of God's jealous love. Come to Jesus this morning if you do not know him. Please. And for those who do know Jesus, what you need in this life God will provide. God will give you the grace abundant in your passion and glory to win him. Flee from your pride. Make no friendship with the world. God will give you the humble his grace abundant. Since your passions wage war within you, wage war on your passions. Depend on God's grace. question is, well, how do we do that? How will we wage war? Well, those who wage war receive marching orders. And envious passions give marching orders to wage war on others. But God gives us a different set of marching orders. Marching orders that come with an entirely different posture than that of the world. Change the kingdom. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. The world says, submit yourself to your desires. But God would have us wage war and submissive to him. It is the way of the Christian in whom the Holy Spirit dwells to submit to God, to employ his ways, his tactics, his methods, to 
fully buy into what God says is true and right. The proud are ready to do good only to themselves. But, as Matthew Henry said, submit yourself to God, for he is ready to do good and free you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? The devil is the one who presses into us, who tempts us, right? He's the the tempter, the one who would lead us astray, an enemy of God. He tempts us to give in to our envious passions, to fight and to quarrel. But the devil is God's devil, and the devil can do nothing without permission. And this is a blessed promise of God, that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Amen? When your passions wage war within you, when you're tempted to fight for what you want in spite of love for God and love for neighbor, but you resist the temptation to fulfill those desires, the enemy will flee from you. Resist the devil, and you do not get what you want, and he will flee from you. Brothers and sisters, wage war on the one who entices you to your passion and desires. Next, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Like a faithful spouse, draw near to your God. Make no room for your passion. Trust the Lord. Rely on His grace and His love for you, that they are sufficient for you. Repent of your sins. God hears your prayers. Christians have the Holy Spirit, which means that we have immediate access to God. And He will provide all that we need to draw near to Him. Wage war on your passion Give God near to you for better outcomes. To be standing with Him. To have God near us. And this draw near language also harkens to what we do in worship. It's similar to what we've seen heretofore. Draw near to the throne of grace. And you will find mercy and grace in time of need. This can help us grow. Encourage the Christian's participation This is the time in which we draw near to God and the time in which God draws near to us. So we see in Hebrews 12, God draws near to us in this moment. What would we choose other than this? Through sleep, temptation, we are sick sinners in need of grace and mercy. And where do we find it? The throne of grace. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. That's what we do on Sunday morning. Amen? Draw near to God. Wage war on your passions with faint hearts. Actually, wage war on your passions with God near to you. Next, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
We are in constant need of being cleansed of our sin. And we often toe that line, right, between friendship with the world and friendship with God. We confess Christ. We praise Him for saving us from our sins. We fail always to live up to God's law. Even our best are stains of a good law. Let us draw near to our loving God of faith itself by humbling ourselves in prayer and devoting ourselves to righteousness. Wage war on your passions with single-minded faithfulness to God. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Saying kind of, this is kind of the opposite of what we're used to hearing, isn't it? Mourn and weep, not joy to gloom. The person enslaved to his passions is overjoyed with the fulfillment of his own desires as ends in and of themselves. The Christian are those who reckon with the true nature of the world. Right? That we're always wandering. We're never home. Right? We sang that song this morning in the Philippians. We're pilgrims. Always moving from one point to another. Peter calls us sojourners. That this world is not our home. And that because of this, because of the already and not yet, we are saved and yet we struggle with sin. We await final consummation and salvation of the people of God. But we're conflicted. We still struggle with the flesh. We're tempted to make this kingdom and this world our home. But it is not yet. And the reality is, that's kind of sad. That's a little sad. Because we have to live in that. We have to struggle with the flesh. So what does God say? Don't indulge in your passions like the world. Overjoyed with the indulgence of them. But because of your persistent sinfulness... by joyfully indulging them, indulging in them, but by mourning and weeping, persistence in sin. Finally, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. The envious person violently grasps at what he thinks is secure, but the humble trust the Lord, and what He provides. Trust the Lord's provision. Trust what he did in this life. This comes with a great promise. 
that though we are slow in this process, we don't always seem as foolish people to this world and the world's ways as we can seem to you. We trust in the Lord because he is working to provide for us all that we need. And in the end, he will accept us. He will raise us up, humble, low, and glorified in honor before our God. Glorified in honor. Friends, we have everything that we could ever need. More than we could ever need in this life. Even when I don't think that the thing could truly fulfill my life, we have salvation through Jesus Christ. We have blessed communion with the living God. We have a friend in Jesus. What we get with nothing is incomparable. What our passion would want to add to that. Christian, your passions are at war within you. And in order to be on the offense, we need to know our enemy. Our sinful passion, passions wage war within us. And what is inside of us will come outside of us. We are our own worst enemies. And we are in danger of making others our enemies and becoming an enemy of God. But God's grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient to give you what you need to continue to wage war against that sinful passion. We submit together, resist together, draw near together, be single minded, close knit to the Lord. Repent of your sin, mourn and weep over your sin. Be humbled before the Lord because in time He will accept you. It's what God calls us to this morning. It is a hard word, but a good one, because our God is good. He does good things, amen? Since your passions wage war within you, by God's grace, humbly wage war on the passions of Christ. Our blessed and merciful Father, we come to you just asking for help. God, you tell us the truth of our profound sinfulness. But by your grace, God, help us that we might sin less. That we might love you that we might love our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, as you say, envy is the opposite of love. But love does not envy. Oh Lord, help us to love well. Give us the strength to continue. Have mercy upon us according to your steadfast love. 
through the Eucharist in Christ Jesus our Savior, in whom we have great abundance glorified in and through us. We pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.